Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. You might imagine that every time Cara and I record an episode, we are in soundproof rooms surrounded by complicated equipment and all sorts of impressive gadgets. The truth is that when we record, we are often juggling lots of other things in our lives, most notably our children's needs. And so you might notice a sound quality issue on Cara's end in today's episode because she was sitting in a hotel room desperately trying to record an episode without all of her regular equipment. Please forgive the sound quality because the content of this week's episode with Natalie Silverstein is so wonderful. Hi, I'm Cara Natterson. And I'm Vanessa Cole Bennett. Each week, we dive into the what and how of raising kids through puberty, that roller coaster of physical and emotional shifts for kids and parents alike. Combining reliable science and relatable parenting strategies, we will all learn about, laugh about, and yes, maybe even cry about adolescence, ours and theirs. Natalie Silverstein, who has a master's in public health, is an author and a passionate advocate for family and youth service. Her first book, Simple Acts, The Busy Family's Guide to Giving Back, was published in 2019. And her new book, Simple Acts, The Busy Teen's Guide to Making a Difference, launched in July 2022. I have the privilege of calling Natalie not just a mentor in the area of service and philanthropy, but also a friend. And I can speak from firsthand experience that she is someone who doesn't just talk the talk, but she walks the walk, giving back to communities around the country, living every single day, trying to answer the question, what can I do to help? Natalie, we are so Happy to have you here with us today. Thank you for joining us. That was such a nice intro. That was probably the nicest intro I've ever had. Thank you so much, Cara. I'm just really honored and privileged to be on this podcast with you both. I think you are doing incredible work and I'm just so excited to be here with you. It's so mutual. I'm going to just start by mentioning Simple Acts for Teens, which I really couldn't put down. And I was reading while I was sitting next to one of my teenage kids. And the only reason I wanted to put it down was frankly for him to read it (laughs) because it is so compelling. It is clear that you not only preach, but you practice what you preach and you give so many tangible guidelines. But I want to pull people back a little bit and talk about 
the general concept of doing community service in school, Mm -hmm. which is something that you write to a teen audience, directly Mm -hmm. to a teen audience, in a way that is very digestible for the adults in their lives. Because what you do is you address this issue, this sort of tension between should we have to do community service (laughs) or should we want to do community service? And Likewise, you talk a little bit about the checking of the boxes for the college application process Mm -hmm. and how does community service fit into that? And then what does that do to stigmatize community service? Right. So can you talk a little bit about the background science of giving back, Mm -hmm. the, the data for why kids should be encouraged in any way, whatever works for them, to participate in service? Absolutely. So I think that's a great place to start. And it's really how the book starts. And then I move into this notion of don't count the hours, make the hours count, right? And explaining to teens the difference between community service and community service hours that they might be required to do. And we can talk a little bit more about that versus service learning, which is a curriculum. That's an educational concept that some schools may have as part of their curriculum. Some may not. So that's really not something a team can control. But to take a step back, I think what I love about the Purity Podcast is that you give people the facts, <laughs> parents the facts that they can use as one of the tools in their toolbox in raising adolescents and teens. And so, you know, we could say that service and kindness and empathy and compassion are all these sort of soft topics and they're, you know, it's it's a nice to do, but that's actually not true. There is a tremendous amount of research around this. I'm sure people have read many of these studies. And so these are the clinical scientific facts. There are some very famous studies like the Harvard study, which was on making caring common. Um, There's a big study that I quote in the book from the University of Wisconsin around the health benefits of volunteering. But baseline right off the bat, volunteers are healthier, they are happier, they are less depressed, they are less isolated, and there are studies that show that there is a correlation to longevity. Volunteers actually live longer. So, and these are studies that were done with adults and elderly adults, um, and so that's a totally different topic. But that same study at the University of Wisconsin also pointed out that for teens in particular, and even those teens who might be considered at risk themselves, There are specific benefits, which include higher academic performance, less engagement in risky behaviors, which are defined as drug and alcohol use, sexual activity, lower rates of teen pregnancy, lower rates of dropout from school. So these are tangible, real things that parents care about, right? See, these are not soft things. That teens who volunteer actually have these benefits for themselves you know, in, in terms of their health, their mental health, their emotional well-being, right? There's also a social aspect to this. If you volunteer with other people, you're more likely to continue to want to volunteer. So that's a whole issue. How do you get your kids to want to do it and to want to continue to do it? So, I mean, the bottom line is this notion of a helper's high, which you've heard that phrase, which is similar to a runner's high, is a scientifically proven physiological response. When you do something nice for another person, it triggers an endorphin rush, this kind of washing over feeling of of goodness. You have a warm, positive response physiologically and emotionally. When you do something good for another person, when you make a person smile, when you ease their burden, when you help them, when they express gratitude, when you see how much you have helped another person and 
they've shown that you still have that helper's high if you've done something for someone else who doesn't acknowledge it, which is an important difference, right? So you, what's that notion of contribution? There's studies that show if you give away $10, you have a better feeling than if you spend $10 on yourself. So there's this you know, immediate gratification of seeing what this is doing for another person and you get that great feeling, but you actually still experience it if you never see how the recipient responds. So all of this is to say, this is a gift, right? This is, I'm not suggesting this is going to solve our very complicated and difficult mental health crisis that we're dealing with with our teens right now and our young adults. However, I firmly believe that service, acts of kindness, practicing empathy, because it's a muscle that needs to be practiced and exercised, I think all of these things are a gift that we can give to our teens who are struggling. And we don't need to articulate how they're struggling because they really are. And I just want to throw in that you very clearly outline giving and service inside the home <laughs> as a, one one column here, which is really important because sometimes we think about all of the things you're describing as happening outside of our home, right. but really every phenomenon you're describing happens under the family roof as 100%. well. 100%. I think we should more broadly define service as starting, I, I broadly just define community as starting very small in your very tiny nuclear, who the people that you live under the roof with. And then we go out and out and out and out into the community and the greater world. And so Service, therefore, is, you know, literally doing the things around the house that contribute to the good of the family and the home. One of the things I've noticed with my older kids, and it becomes contagious in a good way, is Mm. they have started to recognize and acknowledge how much, frankly, I in particular do for our family. And one of the frustrations of being the primary caregiver in a home is feeling unrecognized. And we don't care for our kids because we expect recognition. We do it because it keeps them healthy and safe and we love them and it's our job. However, having the added recognition of how much we do is so, it's like every time they do it now, I like start crying at the table. I'm like, you finally see it. (laughs) And they start to, I guess, kind of fake it till you make it right. Mm -hmm. They start to do it for each other, even though they know it's kind of like, I don't want to say disingenuine because as you say, helping someone else is still helping someone else. And it doesn't matter the motivation. It's still an act of service, but it does create like a kind of positively contagious atmosphere in a home. And then it reverberates into the larger community. It's also low hanging fruit, right? So let's just call a spade a spade. Like they know once they tap into that good button, they can push on us. And it's just a little bit of gratitude and they can thank us without us prompting them to think they know how much that gives them. And that becomes a very virtuous cycle for them. And that's fine. But that's, that's fine. I got no problem with that's that. Fine. There is, there's a yeah. positive peer pressure that, that's at work here, right? So we see this all the time in classrooms. Teachers will tell you about this, right? So if a child picks up their garbage and throws it away and actually says to their peer, hey, don't put that garbage on the floor, pick that up. Or they pick it up for them. People see them picking up the garbage and they right. want to do the same thing, especially if they are praised by the teacher. So instead of saying, 
I don't like what this person's doing. Oh, I like what Vanessa just did. Vanessa threw away her garbage and she pointed out that someone dropped their garbage on the floor and that's not okay. So there is a positive peer pressure and that gets back to volunteering together. Again, studies show that teens who volunteer with other teens are more likely to enjoy the experience and to want to continue to do that work. But again, how, however this happens, I got no problem with it, right? Like expressing gratitude, acknowledging that service, every act of service in the home, which is, you know, we might call it chores, right? Taking out yep. the garbage. You are contributing to the public good of your home, of your family. And so I talk about that in the book that let's start with what teens are doing in the home that we should consider service and that should be acknowledged as such. I think we spend a lot of time telling kids that they don't really contribute much to the world yet, but they do. Does authenticity matter or can you fake it till you make it? I think you fake it till you make it because I think once you start doing it over and over again, we know that you have to do something six or seven or eight or nine times. There's a number there that's been shown to be true that after you've done something a certain number of times, then it becomes a habit. Then it becomes something that you want to do on a consistent basis, right? Which is why these kind of one-off volunteer opportunities don't necessarily stick. I think that, again, the authenticity piece comes in where you help teens to identify the thing that they actually care about and then identify what their skills and gifts and talents are and strengths that they might be able to bring to bear, right? So it really, and and the book has a little assessment in there for teens and, and adolescents to use to say, okay, what are the issues that I care about? Do I care about animals? Do I care about hunger? Do I care about the planet? <laughs> Please God. And then what are my gifts and talents and skills? Because, and this is so important for their mental health and their confidence and their agency, everyone has a gift or a skill, or a strength, or a talent. And when teens say, oh, I'm not good at anything, there's a lot of negative self-talk, especially now because we've been sitting in the house for two years. Everyone is good at something. And I'm not talking about being a world-class gymnast or, you know, I'm talking about, are you strong? Are you kind? Are you patient? Do you have great handwriting? Are you a good driver? I mean, every kid has something to contribute. So if you help them to tap into that, and then marry that with the issue that they care about in a way that is meaningful. How can they share that gift with an organization, a person who needs their help? Wow, the benefit, the high, the confidence boost that they get from this. I mean, I don't know why we wouldn't want to help our teens do that. I love this so much because I've seen it in my own kids where they think of themselves as like not quote unquote that kind of kid. And then they have ongoing volunteer experiences that teach them what an impact they can make by just being themselves and sharing that self with other people. I want to go back to one particular issue around the science behind how volunteering can help. And we know that if someone is struggling, that Mm -hmm. helping someone else can help that person who is struggling. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because the inclination to turn inward mm-hmm. as a person, as a family, when someone is having a hard time with mental health stuff is so strong, right? You yes. want to cocoon in the world, but talk a little bit about the science behind how it actually helps to help others and to right. give back. Well, I mean, I think there have been some studies, particularly in these last two years, when teens were academically isolated, socially isolated, so much disruption to their normal normal lives and their opportunities outside of the home. And it's been shown that people who are depressed, 
people who are lonely, if they are encouraged to give back in a meaningful way, to create a connection, a relationship with someone outside of themselves, outside of their home, instead of turning inward and only, you know, the navel gazing, by turning your perspective outward, you are opening your heart, opening your perspective, opening your ability to see that you are needed, right? That your skills are being celebrated, that someone is grateful to you. Right. If you're feeling bad about yourself and you don't think that you have anything to offer, nobody would miss me. Mm. This notion, right? I mean, teen suicide is off the charts, which is heartbreaking. And what does that sometimes come down to? This notion of no one would miss me. It would they mm. would be better off without me. Yeah. You know, you yeah. hear those perseverating thoughts that many times people will have if they're contemplating self-harm. But if you are volunteering for the elderly neighbor who can't get their medicine or their groceries. If you are shoveling the snow for that person, if you're visiting them, if you're taking, you know, taking care of their pets, you are needed. Your help is wanted and needed and appreciated very deeply. That gives a sense of purpose to our lives. There's again, all of these health benefits that I referenced at the beginning. What is that all about? For the, especially for the elderly, for adults, it's about living a purposeful life that someone else is counting on you, that you matter that what you have to offer is important. So again, I think it it makes clear sense to me that instead of sort of focusing on ourselves, our own problems, I can't do anything, I'm not good at anything. If you go out into the world and you mentor a younger child or you're a companion to an older person who needs help, you see that they need help and you need help. This is, it's a reciprocal thing. And I say this all the time. I really hate this notion of like, we're going to go out and do service. You know, we're going to save everybody. We're so lucky that we can help everyone and they need our help. And no, we are privileged to do this work today to serve others in our community in whatever way we do this, because someday, very soon, we will be in need of help ourselves Mm -hmm. and someone will come to our assistance. And that's the most important part. So I want to jump on that for a minute because I think in the context of puberty and these years that are very physically, socially, and emotionally tumultuous, mm-hmm. we know that the kids who are living it, most of them, the vast, vast majority, see the grass as greener on the other side of the street. Of it is very, no matter where you are and what's happening for you, it always looks better and easier for someone else. And, and social media tells you that it is. Social media mm-hmm. tells course. you that everybody else that's, is having a much better day than you. That's right. But even before social media, when we were going through it, we were very, very aware that it was easier for everyone else, right? That is the lens of this time of life. And the lens of service in this very broad definition is the opposite, right? It's what I experienced when I was in my residency training, when I would come home every single day and say, there but for the grace of God go I. Like every day. And it is not a mindset that is necessarily common in adolescence Mm -hmm. to have deep appreciation for what's going right or what's going well. Mm -hmm. But I think when viewed through that lens, understanding service as a way to appreciate what's okay in your life and give back, knowing exactly as you said, that there are other things in your life that are not going so well, and you need the help. This is what community is, right? right? And we have, over the past two or three generations, 
families have become very siloed and families have started doing things sort of in their little bubble of three and four and five and six people, but really the bigger sense of community, which you spend a great amount of time defining in your book. You talk about what a community is and what a community looks like. And maybe you can talk about it here for a second because the concept of seeing yourself as part of a greater whole fuels this this whole concept. No, absolutely. And again, that this issue of reciprocity is so, so important, right? So we are not the saviors. We're not just coming and swooping in, fixing, and then we're going to run away, right? So we want teens and adolescents to understand that this is our contribution to the good of society, to the good of the world, to the betterment of all of us. We're all in this together, right? Um, and so again, these concentric circles that I define in the book are like, you start in the home, just your nuclear, the folks that live under the same roof with you, the pets that live under the same roof with you. And your acts of service to the home are critical and should be appreciated as such, right? Then you move out to your slightly larger, you know, the people on the same floor in your apartment, the people who live in the homes around yours. So if your child is shoveling the snow or using the snowblower, can they go a few more feet further on either side such that the folks next door can get out of their homes to get into their cars to get to work, right? This is thinking, I'm not just going to blow the snow on my tiny piece of the property. I'm just going to, I'm already here. I'm just going to go ahead and do this. Mm -hmm. We want them to think of those things on their own. And then we go to our city, we go to our school, right? Hopefully our kids go to schools where this idea, this concept that we are a community and we are responsible for each other, that we pick up our trash, both because it's the right thing to do, because it keeps our environment clean, but because there are people here who are cleaning up after us. And so we should be grateful for their work and we should say thank you to those folks using their names to thank the security guard, to thank the crossing guard, the, the school secretary, you know, to have an appreciation for the folks who make them well and fed and safe every day. And then we move further out to their after school activities, to their jobs, because many teens, you know, this is all very nice and theoretical that we should all go out and do tons and tons of service. Kids have to have jobs. They have to study for the SAT. They have to do their homework. They have to do their sports and I get it. And that's why the name of the book is Simple Acts. These are things that you should be able to do organically in your day-to-day life to make you a good community member, right? That you are aware of the fact that you live among other people and that it's your responsibility to do the right thing and your hope that everyone else is going to be doing the right thing as well. Hey, it's Cara. We all know puberty isn't always easy. One of the trickiest pieces of the puberty puzzle is boobs. When will I get them? Why are they so tender? And why does every bra out there seem to pull, push, pad, itch, scratch, or be so flimsy it doesn't do a thing? That's where Umla comes in. It's a company that makes puberty comfortable, a company I founded with my friend Julie. When our own daughters began the puberty journey, we couldn't find a decent starter bra anywhere. So we made one. It fits perfectly whether boobs are just starting to bud or they've been growing for a few years. We call it the Umbra. And it's game-changing. The Umbra is made from buttery cotton that feels like second skin, ridiculously soft and so comfortable you'll forget you're wearing anything at all. Umbra's one-of-a-kind support comes from its patented layered design that creates gentle compression without any tight binding, 
which also means it doesn't need any bulky, awkward pads because it's built to seamlessly hide nipples and protect against those dreaded ouch moments throughout the day. Our daughters and their friends are done with puberty, but they still love and wear their umbras. It's why we say that the umbra may be your first bra, but it will definitely be your favorite bra. Come say hi, look around, and find your umbra, plus lots of other puberty info, at myoomla.com. That's M-Y-O-O-M-L-A dot com. After we've been Zooming all day, we both hit the same wall. We forgot about dealing with dinner. But given what we do for a living, we know the importance of feeding ourselves and our families well. And we want it to be yummy. So we're psyched to have found Factor. Factor's chef-created, ready-to-eat meals show up at our front doors. With over 35 different options a week to choose from, Cara goes vegan and veggie while I opt for a whole variety since I have so many kids. Two-minute prep gets us restaurant-quality full meals, snacks, and smoothies. And Factor is less expensive than takeout. And because flexibility is key, you can choose anywhere from six to 18 meals per week, and you can pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime. Factor meals require no prepping, no cooking, and no cleanup. Our kids are thrilled by the lack of dishes. So get started today and have a week of meals ready to go, taking the dinner prep pressure off. Head to factormeals.com slash puberty50. Use the code puberty50 to get 50% off. That's code puberty50 at factormeals.com slash puberty50. We know it's really tough when a kid's skin is breaking out for the first time or the hundredth time. But now there's an effective product that can help. It's called Phyla, and it's clinically proven to fix acne by targeting the bad bacteria on the skin without eliminating all the good bacteria. This rebalances the skin's microbiome, treating existing breakouts and preventing new ones. Phyla's active ingredient is a probiotic isolated from the skin of healthy, acne-free individuals. This means Phyla can stop acne before it starts by eliminating bacteria in the pores without irritating or drying skin. And Phyla is safe for kids of all ages. Dermatologists recommend this easy three-step system. Just cleanse, apply serum, and moisturize twice a day. My own kids actually use this product. They love it because it works so well. Get 25% off your first order of Phyla with the code PUBERTY. Go to phylabiotics.com and type in the code PUBERTY at checkout. Link is in the show notes to get started. Natalie, I want to touch on a barrier that I've noticed for kids going into, you know, volunteering or service, which is a discomfort or a fear with the situations or the people they're going to encounter, right? So whether it's homeless folks, whether it's disabled folks in Mm -hmm. some way, whether it's people who are really struggling in ways that feel scary, upsetting, intimidating. Can you talk a little bit about how we scaffold for our kids conversations when they're going into situations that are going to be hard and Mm -hmm. maybe even upsetting to see 
because we know they can get past it, but we can't just turn to them and say, oh, it'll be fine. Right. You know, get over it. It's fine. (laughs) Right. We need to give them a roadmap. So can you talk about that a little bit? Sure. Well, the first book that I wrote was really for families with young children. And I do believe that this work is so important to start when kids are young, because again, it's exposing them to people who are a little bit different than themselves. That's what all of this work is about, right? It's about opening your eyes (laughs) and hearts and minds and ears to the vast world of people out there and their different needs, their different abilities. If we stay in our silo, as you said, Cara, and we only look at and see and interact with people who look and think and feel and pray the same way that we do, that's a pretty small life and a pretty small worldview. And that is not what any of us want, right? And so serving in our community exposes us to just the wide, wide assortment of folks who live out in the world and who have very different life experiences. And so I am a big advocate of starting this work when children are very young in an age-appropriate way. I think having a conversation up front, as you mentioned, Vanessa, you know, talking about what the situation is that they might be stepping into, how folks might look and how they might be acting, um, how they might speak, you know, you can't project how they might be feeling. But if you're dealing with people who are living marginally or who are experiencing homelessness, and again, that's a super, I think language is very important too. Other people, and we don't label them, a person isn't poor, a person isn't impoverished, a person isn't homeless, a person is experiencing homelessness right now because they had a home and they hopefully will have a home again. And hopefully the work that we're doing is going to help them move towards that, or they're experiencing financial hardship or whatever it is. So you can talk about it in advance and say, okay, we're going to be going to a soup kitchen. We're going to be preparing a meal. We're going to be serving that meal in a way that is really respectful. It's sort of like a restaurant. These folks are going to come in. They're going to check their bags at the door. They're going to sit down. We're going to ask them what they would like of the assortment of things that is here, they might not, they might say, oh, I don't want that. I want something else. And it might seem to you like, oh, wow, why, how, (laughs) how could they possibly want a choice? Or like, this is what's being given to them. It's free. No, they should be served with dignity. They are given some choices. You clean up the plates after them. You ask them if they'd like anything else, anything more. I think the best programs are the ones that really train volunteers on how to speak to and how to interact with folks who are having these issues. I mean, you know, it may be folks who have some mental health struggles themselves who may not be able to communicate well. Um, And so it really teaches your kids how to have sort of a little bit of a thick skin, how to, you know, understand that not everyone is having the same life experience that they are having. And if they have a negative experience, which is entirely possible, right? So they come home and they say, wow, that really freaked me out. And that was not cool. And somebody yelled at me because they didn't like what I was serving. Here's an opportunity to have a really meaningful conversation with your teenager about what that person might've been experiencing in that day, (laughs) generally in their lives. And I think it opens up this really nice discussion opportunity for you as a family. And then you can make choices moving forward and remind them that that was one day, one time, one person, but that the work that they did was worthwhile overall. And it always is. This is one of my big things. And I say this all the time, like it doesn't matter what your effort is. It is always worth it. It's always worth your time and your effort. And really, I can't stress that enough. If they come home and they were disappointed and they don't want to ever do it again, that's okay. But maybe let's talk about a different opportunity, a different way that you can give back. Did you like some aspects of that and not others? 
Maybe you want to work in the kitchen exclusively and have other people do the serving, whatever it is. But it's just a nice, a nice way to frame it. And, and again, there's nothing to be afraid of. You know, obviously, if your teen is moving into a, a place where, where there, there may be some folks who, who are going to have this, there are adults there. <laughs> there, you know, there are people who run this show all the time and have seen it all. And you would never put your teen in a situation that, you know, is unsafe. So- I want to call out two things that you just said and shine a light on each of them. One is this notion that as we engage our kids in service in general, that there's no sort of paternalistic piece Mm -hmm. to this. Our kids are not going to parachute in and save someone who needs them. Our kids are not, and we are not better than anyone else. We are just in a different circumstance at this moment in time than someone else. And for parents who are struggling with that, and for adults who are involved in the lives of kids, my son has a coach who has started getting his entire team involved in community service. There are a lot of adults who are not parents who are very, very invested in bringing the community into these kids' lives. Mm -hmm. The most important starting place, and you have said this many times in many ways, over the last few minutes is to recognize that it is not a better than, less than situation. It is a different than situation. Mm -hmm. And this is where this notion of what goes around comes around is so present, which is, you know, one day in some way it will be you. You will need help from other people. I don't know what that form, it, it might be financial, it may be food, it may be shelter, it may be emotional, it may be but we all need each other. Yes. Uh, humans are a social species. So I think that's a really important point you make. The other point you make about it's not scary or it doesn't have to be scary is very important because you know sometimes it is scary, <laughs> right? Sometimes there are adults who are suffering from mm-hmm. certain forms of mental illness, addiction being one of the easiest ones to see. And kids can come into a situation with no skills here, no Mm -hmm. ability to recognize sort of what's going on for that adult and therefore no sense of how to feel safe. Mm -hmm. I think it would be really helpful if you spoke for just a second about how parents can and adults can kind of slowly baby step into volunteerism so that they're not throwing kids into a situation that they're not ready for? Because there are some that are more dramatic or require more skills than Mm -hmm. others. Mm -hmm. Well, and, you know, I think what you're talking about is sort of flexing your empathy muscles, right? I immediately think about a group of adolescents who are on the street and they see a person experiencing homelessness or someone who has some mental health issues acting erratically. And you'll, you know, you'll often see adolescents because they're nervous and they're scared. So they start laughing pointing, talking about that person, whatever. That's the thing we kind of want to squash, right? Like we want them to take a step back and say, okay, what's going on with this person? They obviously are having some issues that we, we couldn't possibly understand. Let's keep ourselves safe. Well, let's just, let's just move on, right? Like there's no reason to make fun of this person or whatever. And, and again, I think there's a group dynamic there. Um, if they're a group of teens, they might, you know, all say, you know, cause they're all nervous, right? So they all start talking about this, this issue. I think again, starting early and, and if you haven't started early, that's okay. Um, I think accompanying teens, you know, most of the time 
as you know, nonprofits will only allow teens over the age of 16 typically to come alone. If they're under 16, they usually have to be accompanied by an adult. Um, you may have to sign a waiver. Typically, if you're doing uh, volunteer work, particularly if it interacts directly with the recipients of the help, if it's a soup kitchen, a food pantry, a homeless outreach on the street, certainly you may have to sign a waiver. It is so important, especially for teens, you know, these baby steps would be going out with experienced adults who have done this many, many times, who in many instances may know the clients, they may know the guests, and that's important language too, right? The folks who come to the food pantry and the soup kitchen are our guests. They are our clients. And that's the language that is used across the board in my experience. And so you want to be with trusted adults who have been down this road before, who know how to handle themselves. And I think accompanying them is also super important. And modeling, role modeling the way that we speak to people who are different than ourselves and whom we've never met before and who may be having a tough time instead of sort of reacting, you know, just understanding that this is where they're at. Role modeling how we speak to these folks, how we speak about them after we've left their presence is so, so important. And again, talking about this afterwards. Um, I do think I mentioned doing volunteer work socially. It's a wonderful social outlet for teens, especially now after all of this social isolation. And so, you know, getting kids together to want to do a fundraiser to volunteer in the community together is terrific. A park cleanup or something like that. In this instance, if you're doing work in an environment that might be a little bit scary or a little just uncomfortable at first until someone has gotten used to it, it's probably better to just do it with your child or your children and then sort of slowly maybe bring another family into it until the teens are, are more comfortable. You know, I'll tell you a story. My son started volunteering in a domestic violence shelter when he was 12 or 13 and they would do birthday parties for the children who lived in the shelter. And he became sort of the leader of that location, which was in Upper Manhattan. And he would go three times a year and he would bring a group of volunteers with him. He would recruit some teams to do this. So from the time he was 13 until the pandemic shut it down. And they would go in and they would decorate a banner and they would sing the song and they would decorate cupcakes and they would have and anyone in the shelter, any kid who was having a birthday or wasn't having a birthday could come. And they had goodie bags. I mean, who doesn't love a birthday party, right? It's so easy. This is so easy. But there were a few things. And my son took this very seriously. No photographs. Put mm -hmm. your phone away. This is a domestic violence shelter. These women are living here. It is an unmarked building on a block that looks just like a house. So no one can know where these children are. You do not take pictures of the children. You don't ask them about their circumstances, how they got there, what, where their dad is. We're just there to have a party. And uh, mm -hmm. to make them feel great and to lead them in an arts and crafts project. You know, there may have been situations where the children were taking from other kids. And what, these were uncomfortable. And these are young teens, 13, 14 years old, dealing with children, some of whom are the same age as them, um, mm -hmm. who are living this very challenging circumstance that they have no experience with. And what an amazing way to build empathy and compassion around the fact that these kids were torn from their home, ran away from their home with their parent, with their mother, and are living now in this communal housing. I mean, it was, it was fantastic. It makes me think about the part of volunteering and community service that we don't always talk about as parents. Like we're so focused on like signing them up and getting right. them involved and get, you know, getting them on track. But I have noticed over the years that the unpacking of the experience mm -hmm. is maybe the most important thing because 
they have a lot to process when they leave. I mean, I remember one of my kids volunteering at a, you know, like a daycare center for underserved kids. And we were on the subway and he was just sobbing when we Mm -hmm. left because Mm -hmm. of like what he came to understand about this kid's circumstance or my kids were volunteering with children with developmental disabilities, Mm -hmm. playing sports with them. And like, they just started to unpack what it meant, what these kids' lives were meant. And some of them were going into surgery and some of them were Mm -hmm. dealing with like, you know, serious health issues and the role that their mentors, right? So the adults weren't just guiding them through the journey of like, the logistical stuff, but the unpacking that the mentors allowed them to do in terms of like, well, what does this mean? And like, what happens next month? And will I see them again? And are they going to be okay? Right. It's like the, it's the downstream effect that, as you say, builds that empathy muscle and also helps them see like, oh, this is what different lived experience looks like. And, and they take so much for granted, right? They, they can yes. go out and play basketball on your, on your driveway anytime they want. And there are children for whom that is nearly impossible without a tremendous amount of assistance. Right. I think they need to soak in it a little bit. Yes. And, and what you said is sort of important, like sobbing on the subway or in the car on the way home, thinking about it, sitting with it, right? And viewing it through the lens of their own experience, their own lived experience, which is, you know, we talk about the first book talked about raising grateful, grounded, empathetic kids. That was always my phrase. Like, I believe that acts of kindness and service, doing this as a family is one of the only ways to raise grateful, grounded, empathetic people. And that's what we want, right? Grateful and grounded in their privileges and their blessings, right? Um, it's not this, I, I really dislike this notion of like, see, you're so lucky. You should go volunteer with kids who don't have as much as you and, and see how lucky you are to have us as parents and have this life. That is guilting and shaming is <laughs> definitely not the way to get kids and teens to want to do this work. But the truth is, once they've gone out and done this work in a meaningful way and they can soak in it a little bit and let it sit for a while and process it, they start to acknowledge and understand how grateful they are, how grounded they are. Without us saying to them, see, right. don't you see? It's right. they come to the realization on their own, which in every aspect of raising kids is so much more powerful right. than like right. show me, Show me, show, show me, don't tell me. Exactly. And there's no shaming involved. Like I, I really dislike the shaming around service. I'll get, I'll, I'll be speaking to a group of parents and they'll be like, my kids are so spoiled. How can I get, you know, can we stop? Can we just, <laughs> can we stop that language? Let's just talk about the good that can come from doing service together. This is not a punishment for something. This is not to get them to appreciate how lucky they are. That's not the language that we want to use around this. Ultimately, they will appreciate their lives. They will be grateful. They will be grounded in the life that they're living. Hopefully, they will open their eyes to the lived experience of so many other people in this world. These are all wonderful, again, benefits that roll out over time because our goal here in raising adolescents and teens, I hope, is to raise good adults, purposeful adults, kind and compassionate adults who wanna do this work on an ongoing basis throughout their lives and who see the joy that it brings back to them. You know, we started this conversation talking broadly about community and really about group efforts. But where we've landed is much more about how the one-to-one impacts are so profound. Vanessa, describing your kids volunteering and 
the sobbing on the subway, that was not about a group of 50 people. It was about seeing, really seeing the experience of one other person. And it feels like the right place to wind down the conversation, which is sort of a recognition that this concept of giving back, since reading your writings, I've become a little bit allergic to the phrase community service because it feels so, right? I mean, it's so giving back, but the concept of giving back being broad and communal and also one-to-one and both having tremendous value that, you know, you're going to have to figure out what lights your fire in terms of your giving back. Your kids are going to have to figure out what lights their fire and both are really, really important. When we end our conversations, Natalie, we like to pick one pearl from the conversation or something that didn't come up in the conversation (laughs) that people can take away and sort of implement in their own lives or it can marinate in their brain. And Vanessa and I try to start because we always spring this on people. And so (laughs) we'll give you a minute to think. And Vanessa's always the one to tee this up. And she's always like, and I'll start because Cara's going to steal mine. So I think I'll start. (laughs) We're not competitive, really. No, 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 no. (laughs) But I think that the biggest takeaway for me is something that you touched on many times in this conversation and you write about so beautifully, which is breaking down the phrase community service into two halves. We talked a lot about what it means to be part of a community. We talked a lot about what it means to be of service to ourselves and other people. And I think my takeaway from having been exposed to what you do and how you think is that I will see the concept of giving back differently from now on, because it is not just, you know, sort of something I can do for other people or other people can do for me, but it's also being part of a bigger fabric and sort of all pulling, rowing in the same boat together. Mm -hmm. So hopefully I can articulate it to my kids as elegantly as you have articulated it here. Thank you. Amen to that. Yes. Thanks. I love the concept of helping kids reflect on who they are and what they can contribute in their own unique ways and marrying that with what they're interested in. And I think kids so often have this image of like what quote unquote community service is and what it's supposed to look like and who does it and helping them step away from that and really think about how can I contribute? What can I offer? What is my self worth in this situation? And it's honestly an exercise we have to do with our kids all the time in all different Mm -hmm. contexts, not just in this one, but if we can help them build that muscle in this context, we can help them think about their self-worth in other contexts. And this feeling of, I'm not good at it. I have nothing to contribute. Other people do it more or better than I do, Mm -hmm. right? That's an ongoing conversation we have with our tweens and teens. And to say to them, you have value and I'm going to help you think about what that value is. It's just a a wonderful way of having that conversation with our kids and helping them go through that exercise. My takeaway always is 
just start where you are, use what you have, do what you can. That's Arthur Ashe. I say that all the time because what I wanted to put out into the world with this book, I wanted to turn down the volume on this pressure that our teens are feeling to do everything and be everything and be a change maker and change the world and be the high, the best baseball player and be the best gymnast and do the best you can on the SAT and get into the best college. That pressure is stifling and it's creating a mental health crisis, a tremendous amount of anxiety and stress for our kids. Let's turn down the volume on that and remind them that they can change one tiny thing. Every small action that they have can have a meaningful difference for another person's mm-hmm. life, for their community, for their family, whatever it is. So just, you don't have to change the whole world to change the world, to make a difference. And that's what I hope people take away from the book. So beautiful. I love that. So great to be with you, Natalie. It's so great to be with you guys. I wish we were having coffee all together at a table (laughs) or a cafe in Paris, but I'll take it. (laughs) Next year, next episode. (laughs) That's right, next episode. Thanks so much for listening. You can follow us anywhere you get your podcasts or check out our Instagram at the Puberty Podcast. If you have questions or stories to share, email us at thepubertypodcast at gmail.com. And for more puberty info, check out myoomla.com or dynamogirl.com. Bye. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.